That's sweet, wasn't it? Great website, sermonspice.com. It exists. Sermonspice.com. It's great. Download these great videos. <laughs> we can go to our first slide. Um, so today, obviously, right, it is Mother's Day, and we want to honor our mothers. Uh, but the Lord always does something and directs and shows via His Spirit. And so this week as I was praying, especially on Wednesday night for those that came to um, prayer, the Lord just dropped this, this phrase in my spirit. Uh, he just kept going, mothering day, mothering day, mothering day. I was like, what? I actually stopped prayer. I was like, I got to Google this. So it's a little, a little teaser. What's also interesting here is we're doing our Heroes of Faith story, uh, or sermon series. And right now we're actually, like chronologically, it just like worked. Like we are at the story of Deborah. Deborah, first female that we're going to be discussing. We have the situation and the witness, the testimony of Debbie, Deborah, right? Uh, today, and it just all lined up. It's really, really cool to see how things were going. So we're going to have a, a probably a very different uh, Mother's Day message. You know, Deborah, general, a prophetess. Um, but the Lord is in it. Amen? So let's open up uh, to Judges, chapter 17, if you have your Bible. Uh, verse 6. We'll be coming out of Judges quite a bit today, mostly in chapter f- uh, 4 and 5. But just so you have a little understanding of what's going on uh, in this time period of Israel history or Israelite history. This is uh, chapter 17, verse 6. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So this is the time period where there is no king in Israel and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Whatever they felt was like compelled them to be, you know, the right thing. And so what's interesting here is, you know, we just ended our story of, of Joshua and Caleb. And so there's a time period. There's a time period between the death of Joshua and the first king, which would be raised up in Israel by the name of Saul. That time period right there is approximately, depending on which scholar you look at, approximately 350 to 400 years go by where there's no king in Israel. A lot of people actually liken it. Let me turn down my mic just a little bit, please. Uh, likened it unto like the Wild West. It's this time period in Israelite history where there's little to no governance. There's no sheriff in town, if you will. There's no government. There's no order. People are just doing whatever they want. It's like likened unto like the days of the Wild West, like the 1870s, 1860s, you know, Billy the Kid and all that kind of stuff where there's lawlessness, essentially. There's no order. It's just, hey, we left the land of Egypt. The great leaders of Moses and then Joshua have died. And now what? Now what? It's very interesting because the Lord himself says, well, I don't want you to have a king. You don't need a king because I shall be your king. Uh, But in the 400 years of lawlessness, uh, God has to raise people up. And the people that he raises up are known as the, in Hebrew, it's Shofet or Shofetim. It's the the judges. And so we read these stories in the book of Judges and every couple chapters, a new judge comes up. A new judge comes up. A new judge comes up. Uh, and so what's been going on here is this. In Judges chapter 2, I'm going to set a little bit more of the stage. Uh, verse 10, we're going to read a little bit more. Chapter 2, verse 10, just to build the context of what's going on. It says, and also that generation were gathered unto their fathers. This is after the death of Joshua. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. 
they knew not the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baalim. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were around about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth, or Ashtoreth. Um, what we see here is the generation has passed, the ones who saw the mighty works of going into the land of promise, right? So similar, right? You see a great move of the Lord, the old people get older, older and older, they die, the young generation is like, what are they talking about? These are just stories. And they start to serve other gods, and these other gods are actually quite profound. Baal is going to be the, the god that is going to, the false god that is going to really be present in Israel for a long time. It's one that they're continually trying to go against. The Lord keeps saying, come back to me, not to Baal. He is the, uh, the, the main god of Babylon in the north. Uh, and then this other interesting one, Ashtoreth, uh, who's going to be one of the main goddesses of the east, uh, of Mesopotamia. Now, these little gods uh, still have their little remnants today. Uh, and I didn't talk about this at Easter because it would be like a total buzzkill on Easter. But I feel like I have to as a pastor and a teacher to teach you these things so you know the full, full picture. Uh, Astrith uh, is the English. Uh, in the uh, ancient language, Semitic language, uh, it's uh, Ishtar. Uh, and Ishtar uh, was a fertility goddess uh, that was worshipped during the spring equinox. Um, they would have, yes, wild sexual orgy, orgies during the spring equinox. And at the end of the swing, spring equinox, uh, they would fatten and kill a hog. And then they would roast the pig, the hog, as a sacrifice unto the gods. Uh, Ishtar, uh, in English, and not the old King James, is Easter. So every single language on planet Earth, uh, except for German and English, refers to Resurrection Sunday as Pascha, coming from the Greek word Pascha, which is coming from the Hebrew word Passover or Pesach. So the only ones who kept that name were the Germans, and then English, a lot of people don't realize this, English, um, we, uh, we, we take, a, a lot of our linguistics is, is from German. Actually, like kids, I always talk about this in class, like German is actually vocabulary-wise the easiest, easiest language for an English speaker to learn. Grammatically, it's like really hard. They're really complicated grammar, uh, but like father in German is Vater. Welcome in German is Willkommen, right? Uh, there's a lot of similar word roots. They're very similar languages. So what happens here is this festival during the spring equinox of Ishtar, the fertility goddess, the expression of, of sex and fertility, that's where we get the Easter bunny from, the eggs from, like just glorifying fertility. Now, I'm not trying to say, like, you know, if you, if you have the Easter bunny and you call it Easter, Easter, that there's something wrong with you. I'm not saying that. That's not my heart. What I'm trying to say to you is that these remnants of these pagan gods and goddesses still work their way in different ways in the culture. And so that's why some of us uh, ref- choose to refer to Easter Sunday as Resurrection Sunday. Not a big deal in this place where the Lord is leading you. Uh, but just so you can see, like, you know, like, oh, Israel, this kind of stuff. Look, those things still try to find little patterns. And if you notice, sorry, it is like rabbit trail. You notice, the reason why I'm saying this is because whether you call it Easter or Resurrection Sunday or whatever, notice what the world does. What does the world do during Easter? 
oh, when you talk to the lost people who are not, you know, saved, I mean, a lot of the attention is on, like, the bunnies and, and the candy and all that kind of stuff. That's where the attention is. It's not on the death and resurrection of the Christ. So that's where, you know, that's what we're talking about, like, when you start to meddle some of these things. So I know there's no one here that, you know, that, that has that mentality, that have the mentality of glorifying Jesus, and that's what does his heart. But if you notice, like, just by the changing of a name, creates a little path, right, for the world to say, oh, this holiday is good. It's unbelievable how subtle these things are. So this is what, back in Israel's time, there is this hang-up. And, um, hon, can you give me some water? Thanks. So, there's power in a name. Name of Jesus, right? So let's go to our uh, next slide. The, the Israelites are seeking after other gods, uh, and there is this weird thing that just keeps happening, Okay? Uh, the Lord raises up a judge. The judge lives. They act as some kind of governing agent over Israel, instructing the people, turn back to God. And there's a good time in, in Israel. Then the judge dies. And every single time, almost every single chapter, every time a new judge is introduced, before the new judge is introduced, it says... And the children of Israel turned to evil. The judge is raised up. The judge dies. The new generation comes in. They do evil. The children do evil, it says. Then the Lord raises up another judge, and the pattern happens again. So these are some of the uh, less common, the first two. Thanks. First one is uh, Othniel. Uh, lives and dies, and the children turn to evil. Ehud, same thing. Devorah, or Deborah, lives and dies, and the children turn to evil. Gideon lives and dies. And then Shimshon, or Samson, uh, lives and dies, and the children turn to evil. Over and over and over again. So what we have here is a principle. And it very much connects to Mother's Day. The judges arise, and then the people falter. And the reality here is this. If a leader or a figure in the church, ministry, the big mega names, the big mega worship artists, if they, if they are your access to your relationship with God, you will falter over time. So the judges were the mediator. Some of you know where I'm going with this. The judges were the mediator between the people and God. People look to the mediator and look to the power of the judge. We're like, wow, surely God is with them. But then that judge dies. Or in some of these stories, like Samson, the judge does something wrong. And then the people are like, ah, we're going to serve evil. Because they looked to a mediator instead of God alone. If we look to people for your access to the Holy Spirit and access to the Father, access to the Son... It's a matter of time. It's a matter of time until you just are going to falter. You're going to fall away from the Lord. But praise God, there is a better way. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. There is one mediator. There's one connection. There's one person in all of the earth who is the one that is your access to the Father. And we need to remind ourselves of that. It's not from a pastor, it's not from a teacher, it's not from a worship leader. It has to be and only be through Jesus. 
you got to keep going to Jesus. You know, if you hear something I teach, you're like, this is whacked out. What is he teaching on now? You go to Jesus. You go to the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, look, show me. Is this right? Is this wrong? He needs to be the center of it all. Amen? Yeah. So that's what's, uh, what's going on there in the context of things. And so we look to uh, Deborah, who's going to be yet another judge. And in uh, Judges chapter 5, verse 7, we see really the beauty of the testimony of Deborah. Deborah is going to rise as a female, which was very unique at that time. She's going to rise as a, as a female. She's going to be a prophetess. She's going to be a general. She's going to be a warrior. And she's going to be a mother. So in uh, Judges chapter 5, verse 7, it says, The inhabitants of the villages, the inhabitants of the towns, they stopped fighting. For the people in Israel stopped fighting until that I... Deborah arose, arose a mother in Israel. So if we can go to the next slide, I want to zoom in on this, this verse. The villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I rose, a mother in Israel. The people would not fight. The fight, yes, was carnal. It was an actual physical fight. It was also a spiritual fight, Right? They gave up on the spiritual tenacity, the, the spiritual fighting, because it's the pattern that happened. But then Deborah arose. But notice here, it says that she arose how? Not as a prophetess, although she was. Not as a general, although a general she was. But as a mother. Now what's very interesting here is this. I scoured and scoured the biblical dictionaries. Google, and my, 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 sense, my senses and sensibilities were right. There's nowhere in the scripture that dictates that Deborah had any children. Actually, the scholars are saying it's not there. It's like 99.9% sure she did not have children. Like all the time, right? I mean, we know. I've, I've said this before. Like when there's a mighty person in the Lord, there's always the genealogies that were like, oh, genealogies just go past this. There's no genealogy. All it is is Deborah was married to a man, and that's it. And this is the man's name, and this is her name, and that's it. There's no background. There's no descendants. If you go back, there's no mighty men or women of Israel that tied to Deborah. It was it. She was it. So the scholars are like, yep, she did not have biological children, but yet she arose as a mother of Israel. Go to the next slide. I'm not sure if many of us are aware of this, particularly the males, because we have a tendency to just be like, what? My wife's upset? I did something wrong again? Over the years, I've never thought about it, over the years through my interactions with friends, I've come to the realization that in the joy of honoring mothers, that there are women this day as difficult. Women who may have miscarried. Women who in the natural right now can't have children. Maybe a woman who before getting saved had an abortion and now there's like that, that guilt we have a tendency not to stop and reflect on that reality. 
But as a family, even in the midst of our joy of honoring mothers, we need to take pause and say, you know what? My joy can also be someone else's sorrow. I'm not trying to take away from honoring mothers today. But I want to add something. I want to add an addition to. Why don't we honor all women? Now, the world is going to honor mothers. And I think we should honor mothers and honor mothers. That's the right thing to do. But in this place, as a body, sons and daughters, let's honor all those that are mothers. Not just mothers biologically, but mothers spiritually. Now, I feel free to say this because Annabelle herself has shared. Annabelle never had children. And I, I know it's a, I'm not speaking behind her. I know she's not here today, but she's shared this before. It's, it's been a heaviness for her. Uh, but with all due respect to y'all out there, I, I, I look at her and I'm like, if there was ever a mother of Bristol, could it not be animal? A woman is like, all right, I don't have biological kids. That's okay. I'm going to mother. I'm going to nourish. I'm going to show love. I'm going to show compassion to the people in my community. So today, when we do leave, we have a mothering present. Here is uh, a little bag of tea and a, I guess a tea diffuser is what it's called. When you leave here, biological or not biological children, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter in a house of the Lord. Be blessed and receive a gift. Amen? Amen. Let me go to the next slide. This really all kind of got linchpinned together when I was in prayer uh, on, uh, on Wednesday. Actually, the, the, the slide before. And this word, mothering, or phrase, mothering day, mothering day, mothering day, just kept going into my head. I was like, what is going on? Lord, what's happening here? And I was reminded years ago when I was in college, uh, in the late spring, or late winter, early spring, I should say, I went over to England. And in England, there was Mother's Day, but then there was people that were celebrating Mothering Day. I remember when I was there being like, what is, what's Mothering Day? Whatever, I, I Googled it. So... This is this is blows your mind away. Mothering Day uh, is a religious holiday that began in the 16th century. Mother's Day is a secular holiday, which began like 100 years ago. Mothering Day started in the United Kingdom by the Anglican Church. Mothering Day was to be, I believe, the third Sunday of the Lent season. And on that Sunday, you were to go back to the church that you were brought up in. Wherever you live, you went back to the original church, the people that baptized you, the people that nourished you when you were young in the faith. You were to go and give them thanks and to give them honor. Whoo! Talk about the Spirit. So I think like there's a little bit of that that needs to be done in the church today, right? Bringing it all together. Those people that don't have biological... It's, you know, I know it hurts. I know it's painful, so it's not necessarily fine. But you're a mother, and we get to bless those people in our lives, male and female, but particularly today, females, that, you know what? You've nourished me. You've encouraged me. Even if you're younger than me, what you do for 
the kids up here touches my heart, even though I don't have a kid, per se. But I've seen your interactions, right? It's just a time to honor those people who have the gifting and walking out in the beauty of love, compassion, nourishment for one another. There's power in a name. Mother's Day is secular. Mothering Day is completely spiritual. Bless those people who nurture in the spirit. Woo! Amen? Amen. And so if you need a little bit more uh, power to this uh, in understanding it, if you go to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, it says here, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the older women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. Honor widows that are widows indeed. What we have here is we have a principle that we are to become a family. We really need to be a family. Not just a church, family. Paul is writing to Timothy and says, look, make sure in your communities that you are so close as a family that the older women in your place are likened unto mothers amongst the men and the women. Give honor to the older ones. View them as mothers. View the older men as fathers. The older ones in your midst, view the younger ones as sons and daughters. Make sure you're taking care of the widows and you bless them, you take care of them, you watch over them as a family. So it's very, very biblical to go as spiritual sons and daughters, to go to people who may not be our biological parents and just say, we just honor you and bless you for what you are in our midst. Amen? So we take this and we go back to the story of Judges. And we go to the next slide and we have the story of Judges. And we have uh, what theologians call, in one way or the other, the cycle of Judges. Throughout the book of Judges, the same thing happens over and over and over and over and over again. Okay? It's a cycle. Uh, we take a look at the tippy top. It says the people turn from God. And then what happens here is because they turn away from God, God judges them by delivering the people to their enemies. Then, through that, the people turn back to God. And then they turn back to God, and God sends a judge to rise up, to rule and guide them. And then there's a period of peace under the judge, and then usually the judge dies. And then the people turn from God again, and the cycle starts all over again. You read the book of Judges, it's just over and over. Every, every story, Othniel, Ehud, Devorah, Gideon, Samson, just over and over and over again. Boom. And each one begins with the same verse. And the children turned to evil. Go to the next slide. What if this was not the case? What if we, in our wisdom from the Holy Spirit and our abilities in Him, could find yet a better way? What if we just removed a couple of those? What if we removed a a portion of the people turning from God? If people don't turn from God, then there's no, well, God judges. And then there's no reason for the people to turn back to God because it's already happened. Like, the people haven't left. What I'm trying to say here is, is there a way? quite possibly in this place, in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our nation, to get out of this cycle. Cycle doesn't have to happen all the time until someone stops the cycle. Could we do that? I think we can. How? By redefining our roles as mothers and fathers. The children are the ones that turn to evil. I'm not even talking about physical age, but maybe it's just spiritual age. They're not mature yet in the faith. 
Is there a way that we can stop this cycle? Absolutely. But I believe that all of us here need to take on a new mantle. And that's a mantle of family. And it's the mantle and anointing of I am a mother and father. That's how you stop the the cycle. Um, If we can go to the next slide, please. Because you see in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, powerful, powerful verse. But now has he, God, obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. This is Paul reflecting and saying, look, look at the Old Testament cycles. Look at the Old Testament theology. He's like, Look, the Old Testament cycle, the cycle of the judges. Look, Jesus came. He brought forth a better covenant and a better promise. There's a better way than the old cycle. It's called the New Testament. It's called living out the New Testament in its fullness. Not just that I'm saved, but I'm saved with a purpose. And I'm saved to engage the community as a father, as a mother, to nourish the people. So, I came up with this. Could this be the other cycle? The cycle of mothers and fathers. What if all of us sitting here today know our Heavenly Father and we know our identity in Him? Not just that He died for me, but I know my identity. I am a son. I'm a daughter. He lifts me up. He loves me. I don't have to strive and try to get, get, get because He loves me and all of His heavenly riches been given to me because of Christ Jesus, it says in Ephesians chapter 1. What if we truly understand our identity? There's no longer backbiting. There's no longer gossip. There's no longer disdain between people because it doesn't matter what Alan thinks about me. It doesn't matter what I think about Alan because all that matters who thinks about me is Jesus. And I don't have to get my identity about if Alan likes my message today or not. I get my identity when the Lord just says, well done, my good faithful servant. What if we walked in that type of authority, that type of anointing, that type of revelation? Well, if we did that, what's going to happen here is we will grow in revelation of his love. We will be able to expand on our love for one another because if someone catcalls you or is nasty to you or whatever it may be, it's not going to stick to you because your identity is in him and so that you just kind of just keep going forward and loving the person. And you reach out to the person when they're sick and you, and you help them out and you help them move and, you're help, and you do life together. If we do this, we move into the third stage as we nurture each other as family. I feel like Bristol Hope is at a, a, a critical place. But things are going well here. The Lord is in things. There's life here. There's a youth group that's going on. There's painting. There's people that are being restored, families, and everything that you heard today. But I really believe from the Holy Spirit, for us to go into the place where the Lord wants us, this place needs to be a serious, serious family. Family does not just see each other once a week. Family does not just speak to someone for 30 seconds in between worship and the message and says, how are you doing? Let's be real. If you are truly asking someone how they are doing, it's not going to take 30 seconds. It's going to take a cup of coffee. It's going to take a cup of tea that you got. It's going to take going out on the phone. It's going to take tears. It's going to take laughter. How are you really doing? Let's hear. We need to become a family. We are a family, but I believe there needs to be more. There needs to be more of this interaction. If we do that, 
I believe as we come together as fathers, as mothers, as fathers, sons, as daughters, the next generation, or rather I should just say the younger ones in the spirit, the ones that are newer to faith, uh, are going to grow in their relationship and their understanding because they have mothers who are nurturing, they have fathers that are dying. If that happens, well, the cycle doesn't continue. The cycle continues but grows. What's going to happen here is the kingdom is going to grow in knowledge and power. We do not allow the children to turn away because we have mothers and fathers that are really nurturing, taking on that anointing. That is how the kingdom is going to go forward. That is how revival breaks out. Amen? We can have the worship team In concluding today, I just want to bring your attention to uh, <clears throat> Judges chapter 5. Jesus. Judges chapter 5, verse 12. Chapter 5 is what's called the Song of Devorah. In Hebrew, Devorah is a bee. People say, it's, why was she given the name Deborah? She's likened unto a bee. Even in our modern vernacular, we have this notion of someone being a busy bee. Always doing, always doing stuff, right? Always working. The hive. And so really what we have here is this notion of uh, arising and becoming, well, these kind of bees. It's written after the fact. After the fact of the story of Deborah. It's a reflection. It's, a, it's a, a witness. It's something that is penned to paper as a testimony for all of eternity. This is what happened. And so in the middle of this song, chapter 5, verse 12, it says here, Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak, who is the general. Lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. The part that I want to focus on here is this notion of awaking. Awake. Awake from your slumber, Deborah and Barak. Deborah was the main general. Barak was her second-hand man. Male and female. Female and male, I should say. So what's happening here is this kind of testimony of, of the future, because it's already been done. Okay? This is a, 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 a testimony, a witness to us today, thousands of years later, that the Deborahs and the Baraks, the mothers and fathers over Israel, need to arise. You need to awake. Awaken to what? Awaken to the revelation that you're more than a song. You're more than a seed. You're more than a person. You are beloved. You are beloved of the Father. He saved you not just to get eternal life. He saved you for more than that if you can believe it. He saved you for a purpose of not just having everlasting life with Him, but a purpose of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. To bring compassion to earth. To show love. To invest in people. Yes, to be a mother and a father to a young one in faith. But we need to arise to that call. We need to arise to that call. Now, what happens here is, unfortunately, in Judges chapter 6, we have the unfortunate reality of before the next judge, Gideon, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. You see, what happens here is the cycle wasn't broken. Deborah died. 
the cycle continued. Why? Because people look to a judge instead of God for their deliverance. They look for one single charismatic, motivating speaker and leader to lead them to the place of deliverance. That is error number one. You cannot, you must only go to the Father himself for your life. The second thing is, it was only one. Only one judge arose. What you need to do to break this cycle and create the more appropriate cycle of bringing the kingdom, you need a generation. You need a community. We can't just have an Annabelle be a mother or a Bill be a father. We need the Deborahs, the Baraks to arise in this place. And when you get a generation, not one, not two, but you get a generation of people who are like, oh, man, let me show you a better way, a better way of the new covenant. Oh, the cycle will be broken. Amen? Now, don't be in dismay because even though in Judges chapter 6, the Israelites once again choose evil. And eventually a king comes. Now, I'm not talking about King Saul. I'm not talking about King David. I'm not talking about King Solomon. I'm talking about King Jesus. You see, I don't have a judge. I have a king. I have a judge who no longer judges me, but actually uh, actually speaks on my behalf before the Father and saying, oh, when you see Dave down there, you just see my blood, don't you? I don't need a judge to rise up in my life to tell me what's going on. I have a king who bore it all. We no longer need judges because we have a loving king. He says, I am the mediator. Not only am I the mediator on your behalf to God, but I'm the one who's brought a better way. Psych broken because of the atonement that I paid for you. Now arise, Deborah. Arise, Barak. Break the cycle at Bristol Hope Community, Bristol Hope Assembly and the community around it. I just arise it. So Father, we pray. That all of us, both male and female, become rejoiced. And we take on the understanding of Mothering Day. It's more than bringing forth a baby from the loins, but rather bringing forth life from the Spirit. Father, we do bless our mothers, those that are biological mothers here. It's not a time to take away from them. It's a time to add unto. So we bless our mothers. But we also bless those who are also mothers in the Spirit. Nurturing, loving the unloved, showing compassion. For Lord, that is the heart of a mother. We all know those people who have kids, but they're not a mother. But then there are those that have no physical children, but they are such mothers in the Spirit. Father, I pray right now that we would all awaken the mothers would awaken take on the anointing of a mother the fathers would arise in this place and take on the anointing of a father to nourish and nurture and to guide and to be involved with that we would come even a more tight knit family not just on Sunday during the week hallelujah amen feel free to stay as 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 Mario continues with worship. When you leave, very important, the ushers will be there. They will be there to give you a, a gift of the tea, the tea infuser, and you get one. 
you get one if you're a mother. Mother in the physical, but also for those that are mothers in the spirit. Whether you have children or not, doesn't matter. Take on the anointing of a Deborah. Be a mother. Receive. All ladies, just receive a blessing from your family here at Bristol. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. Amen. So I come into.